Conceit is a fog that envelops a man's real character beyond his own recognition. It weakens his native ability and strengthens all his inconsistencies. Chapter 9 Decision The Mastery of Procrastination The Seventh Step Toward Riches Analysis of over 25,000 men and women who had experienced failure reveals that lack of decision was near the head of the list of the 31 major causes of failure. Procrastination, the opposite of decision, is a common enemy which practically every person must conquer. You will have an opportunity to test your capacity to reach quick and definite decisions when you finish reading this book and begin to put the principles into action. My analysis of several hundred people who had accumulated fortunes well beyond the million-dollar mark disclosed the fact that every one of them had the habit of reaching decisions promptly and of changing these decisions slowly. People who fail to accumulate money, without exception, have the habit of reaching decisions, if at all, very slowly, and of changing these decisions quickly and often. One of Henry Ford's most outstanding qualities was his habit of reaching decisions quickly and definitely and changing them slowly. This quality was so pronounced in Mr. Ford that it gave him the reputation of being obstinate. It was this quality that prompted Mr. Ford to continue to manufacture his famous Model T, the world's ugliest car, when all of his advisors and many of the purchasers of the car were urging him to change it. Perhaps Mr. Ford delayed too long in making the change. But the other side of the story is that Mr. Ford's firmness of decision yielded a huge fortune before the change in model became necessary. Some say that Mr. Ford's definiteness of decision was just obstinacy, but even this quality is preferable to slowness in reaching decisions and quickness in changing them. Editor's Comments Henry Ford's consistency extended also to the color of the Model T, 15 million of which in 19 years of production from 1908 to 1927 were made only in black and with little change in the design. Shortly after its introduction, Napoleon Hill met with Ford to talk about the principles of success. According to Hill, in Michael Ritt's biography of Napoleon Hill, A Lifetime of Riches, Henry Ford was cold, indifferent, unenthusiastic, and spoke only when forced to, unless he was talking about his car. Early on, few people other than Carnegie could foresee the success Ford would achieve, which Hill later attributed to Ford's self-control and concentrated effort. At Hill's first meeting with him in 1911, Ford was interested only in talking about the Model T. After Ford took him for a spin around the factory, Hill bought one for $680. This is the end of the editor's comments. Making Your Own Decisions The majority of people who fail to accumulate the money they need are generally easily influenced by the opinions of others. They permit gossip, rumors, other people's opinions, and the news reporters to do their thinking for them. Opinions are the cheapest commodities on earth. Everyone has a flock of opinions they are ready to tell anyone who will listen. If you are too influenced by other people's opinions when you reach decisions, you will not succeed in any undertaking, much less in that of transmuting your own desire into money. 
If you are influenced by the opinions of others, you will have no desire of your own. Keep your own counsel. Rely on yourself to reach your own decisions when you begin to put these principles into practice, and follow through on your decisions. Take no one into your confidence except the members of your mastermind group, and be very sure that you choose for your group only those who will be in complete sympathy and harmony with your purpose. Close friends and relatives, while not meaning to do so, often handicap one through opinions. And for some reason, even friends often seem to think that ridiculing you and your plans is funny. Thousands of men and women carry inferiority complexes with them all through life because some well-meaning but ignorant person destroyed their confidence through opinions or ridicule. You have a brain and mind of your own. Use it and reach your own decisions. If you need facts or information from others to help you reach decisions, acquire the facts or information you need quietly, without disclosing your purpose. It is characteristic of people who have a smattering of knowledge to try to give the impression that they know more than they do. Such people generally do too much talking and too little listening. Keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth closed if you wish to acquire the habit of prompt decision. Those who talk too much do little else. If you talk more than you listen, you may miss some important piece of knowledge that might have been very useful to you. By talking too much, you may also disclose your plans and purposes to people who will take great delight in defeating you because they envy you. Remember, every time you open your mouth in the presence of a person who really has knowledge, you tip your hand and show that person your exact stock of knowledge, or you tip your hand to your lack of it. The mark of genuine wisdom is modesty and silence. Keep in mind that every person is, like you, seeking the opportunity to accumulate money. If you talk about your plans too freely, you may be surprised when you learn that some other person has beat you to it by using the plans you bragged about. Let one of your first decisions be to keep a closed mouth and open ears and eyes. As a reminder to yourself, copy the following epigram in large letters and place it where you will see it daily. Tell the world what you intend to do, but first, show it. This is the equivalent of saying that deeds and not words are what count most. The value of decisions depends upon the courage required to render them. The great decisions that served as the foundation of civilization were reached by assuming great risks, which often meant the chance of death. Lincoln's decision to issue his famous Proclamation of Emancipation, which gave freedom to African Americans, was rendered with full understanding that his act would turn thousands of friends and political supporters against him. When the rulers of Athens gave Socrates the choice of disclaiming his teachings or being sentenced to death, Socrates' decision to drink the cup of poison, rather than compromise in his personal belief, was a decision of courage. It turned time ahead a thousand years and gave to people then unborn the right to freedom of thought and of speech. 56. Who Risked the Gallows the greatest decision of all time, as far as any American citizen is concerned, was reached in Philadelphia on July 4, 1776, when 56 men signed their names to a document that they well knew would bring freedom to all Americans, 
or leave every one of the fifty-six hanging from a gallows. You have heard of this famous document, the Declaration of Independence. But have you taken from it the great lesson in personal achievement it so plainly taught? We all remember the date of this momentous decision, but few of us realize what courage that decision required. We remember our history as it was taught. We remember dates and the names of the men who fought. We remember Valley Forge and Yorktown. We remember George Washington and Lord Cornwallis. But we know little of the real forces behind these names, dates, and places. We know even less of that intangible power that ensured freedom long before Washington's armies reached Yorktown. It is nothing short of tragedy that the writers of history have missed entirely even the slightest reference to the irresistible power that gave birth and freedom to the nation destined to set up new standards of independence for all the peoples of the earth. I say it is a tragedy because it is the same power that must be used by every individual who overcomes the difficulties of life and forces life to pay the price asked. Let us briefly review the events that gave birth to this power. The story begins with an incident in Boston on March 5th, 1770. British soldiers were patrolling the streets, openly threatening the citizens by their presence. The colonists resented armed men marching in their midst. They began to express their resentment openly, hurling stones as well as epithets at the marching soldiers, until the commanding officer gave orders, fix bayonets, charge. The battle was on. It resulted in the death and injury of many. The incident aroused such resentment that the Provincial Assembly, made up of prominent colonists, called a meeting for the purpose of taking definite action. Two of the members of that assembly were John Hancock and Samuel Adams. They spoke up courageously and declared that a move must be made to eject all British soldiers from Boston. Remember this. A decision in the minds of two men might properly be called the beginning of the freedom that we of the United States now enjoy. Remember, too, that the decision of these two men called for faith and courage because it was dangerous. Before the assembly adjourned, Samuel Adams was appointed to call on Hutchinson, the governor of the province, and demand the withdrawal of the British troops. The request was granted, and the troops were removed from Boston, but the incident was not closed. It had caused a situation that was destined to change the entire trend of civilization. Richard Henry Lee became an important factor in this story, because he and Samuel Adams corresponded frequently, sharing freely their fears and their hopes concerning the welfare of the people of their provinces. From this practice, Adams conceived the idea that a mutual exchange of letters between the thirteen colonies might help to bring about the coordination of efforts so badly needed in connection with the solution of their problems. In March of 1772, two years after the clash with the soldiers in Boston, Adams presented this idea to the assembly. He made a motion that a correspondence committee be established among the colonies, with definitely appointed correspondence in each colony, for the purpose of friendly cooperation for the betterment of the colonies of British America. It was the beginning of the organization of the far-flung power destined to give freedom to you and to me. A mastermind group had already been organized. It consisted of Adams, Lee, and Hancock. The Committee of Correspondence was organized. 
The citizens of the colonies had been waging disorganized warfare against the British soldiers through incidents similar to the Boston riot, but nothing of benefit had been accomplished. Their individual grievances had not been consolidated under one mastermind. No group of individuals had put their hearts, minds, souls, and bodies together in one definite decision to settle their difficulty with the British once and for all, until Adams, Hancock, and Lee got together. Meanwhile, the British were not idle. They, too, were doing some planning and masterminding, and they had the advantage of having behind them money and organized soldiery. A Decision That Changed History The Crown appointed Gage to supplant Hutchinson as the governor of Massachusetts. One of the new governor's first acts was to send a messenger to call on Samuel Adams for the purpose of endeavoring to stop his opposition by fear. You will best understand the spirit of what happened from this quotation of the conversation between Colonel Fenton, the messenger sent by Gage, and Adams. Colonel Fenton I have been authorized by Governor Gage to assure you, Mr. Adams, that the Governor has been empowered to confer upon you such benefits as would be satisfactory, an obvious endeavor to win Adams by promise of bribing him, upon the condition that you engage to cease in your opposition to the measures of the government. It is the Governor's advice to you, sir, not to incur the further displeasure of His Majesty. Your conduct has been such as makes you liable to penalties of an act of Henry VIII, by which persons can be sent to England for trial for treason, or misprision of treason, at the discretion of a governor of a province. But by changing your political course, you will not only receive great personal advantages, but you will make your peace with the king. Samuel Adams had the choice of two decisions. He could cease his opposition and receive personal bribes, or he could continue and run the risk of being hanged. Clearly, the time had come when Adams was forced to reach, instantly, a decision that could have cost his life. Adams insisted upon Colonel Fenton's word of honor that the colonel would deliver to the governor the answer exactly as Adams would give it to him. Adams' answer. Then you may tell Governor Gage that I trust I have long since made my peace with the King of Kings. No personal consideration shall induce me to abandon the righteous cause of my country. And tell Governor Gage it is the advice of Samuel Adams to him no longer to insult the feelings of an exasperated people. When Governor Gage received Adams' caustic reply, he flew into a rage and issued a proclamation that read, I do hereby, in His Majesty's name, offer and promise His most gracious pardon to all persons who shall forthwith lay down their arms and return to the duties of peaceable subjects, excepting only from the benefit of such pardon Samuel Adams and John Hancock, whose offenses are of too flagitious a nature to admit of any other consideration but that of condign punishment. Adams and Hancock were on the spot. The threat of the irate governor forced the two men to reach another decision, equally as dangerous. They hurriedly called a secret meeting of their staunchest followers. After the meeting had been called to order, Adams locked the door, placed the key in his pocket, and informed all present that it was imperative that a congress of the colonists be organized, and that no man should leave the room until the decision for such a congress had been reached. Great excitement followed. Some weighed the possible consequences of such radicalism, 
Some expressed grave doubt as to the wisdom of so definite a decision in defiance of the crown. Locked in that room were two men immune to fear, blind to the possibility of failure, Hancock and Adams. Through the influence of their minds, the others were induced to agree that, through the Correspondence Committee, arrangements should be made for a meeting of the First Continental Congress to be held in Philadelphia, September 5, 1774. Remember this date. It is more important than July 4, 1776. If there had been no decision to hold a Continental Congress, there could have been no signing of the Declaration of Independence. Before the first meeting of the new Congress, another leader, in a different section of the country, was deep in the throes of publishing a summary view of the rights of British America. He was Thomas Jefferson, of the province of Virginia, whose relationship to Lord Dunmore, representative of the Crown in Virginia, was as strained as that of Hancock's and Adams with their governor. Shortly after his famous Summary of Rights was published, Jefferson was informed that he was subject to prosecution for high treason against His Majesty's government. Inspired by the threat, one of Jefferson's colleagues, Patrick Henry, boldly spoke his mind, concluding his remarks with a sentence that shall remain forever a classic. If this be treason, then make the most of it. It was such men as these who, without power, without authority, without military strength, without money, sat in solemn consideration of the destiny of the colonies, beginning at the opening of the First Continental Congress and continuing at intervals for two years, until on June 7, 1776, Richard Henry Lee arose, addressed the chair, and to the startled assembly made this motion. Gentlemen, I make the motion that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they be absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved. The Most Momentous Decision Ever Placed on Paper Lee's astounding motion was discussed fervently and at such length that he began to lose patience. Finally, after days of argument, he again took the floor and declared in a clear, firm voice, Mr. President, we have discussed this issue for days. It is the only course for us to follow. Why then, sir, do we longer delay? Why still deliberate? Let this happy day give birth to an American republic. Let her arise not to devastate and to conquer, but to re-establish the reign of peace and of law. Before his motion was finally voted upon, Lee was called back to Virginia because of serious family illness. But before leaving, he placed his cause in the hands of his friend, Thomas Jefferson, who promised to fight until favorable action was taken. Shortly thereafter, the President of the Congress, Hancock, appointed Jefferson as chairman of a committee to draw up a Declaration of Independence. Long and hard, the committee labored on a document that would mean, when accepted by the Congress, that every man who signed it would be signing his own death warrant should the colonies lose in the fight with Great Britain that was sure to follow. The document was drawn, and on June 28th, the original draft was read before the Congress. For several days it was discussed, altered, and made ready. On July 4th, 
1776, Thomas Jefferson stood before the assembly and fearlessly read the most momentous decision ever placed on paper. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. When Jefferson finished, the document was voted upon, accepted, and signed by the fifty-six men, every one staking his own life upon his decision to write his name. By that decision came into existence a nation destined to bring to mankind forever the privilege of making decisions. Analyze the events that led to the Declaration of Independence, and be convinced that this nation, which now holds a position of commanding respect and power among all nations of the world, was born of a decision created by a mastermind consisting of fifty-six men. Note well the fact that it was their decision that ensured the success of Washington's armies, because the spirit of that decision was in the heart of every soldier who fought with him, and served as a spiritual power which recognizes no such thing as failure. Note also, with great personal benefit, that the power that gave this nation its freedom is the same power that must be used by every individual who becomes self-determining. This power is made up of the principles described in this book. It will not be difficult to detect in the story of the Declaration of Independence at least six of these principles. Desire, Decision, Faith, Persistence, The Mastermind, and Organized Planning. Know what you want and you will generally get it. Throughout this philosophy, you'll find the suggestion that thought, backed by strong desire, will transmute itself into its physical equivalent. The story of the founding of America and the story of the organization of the United States Steel Corporation are perfect examples of the method by which thought makes this astounding transformation. In your search for the secret of the method, do not look for a miracle, because you will not find it you will find only the eternal laws of nature. These laws are available to every person who has the faith and the courage to use them. They may be used to bring freedom to a nation or to accumulate riches. Those who reach decisions promptly and definitely know what they want and generally get it. The leaders in every walk of life decide quickly and firmly. That is the major reason why they are leaders. The world has a habit of making room for the people whose words and actions show that they know where they are going. Indecision is a habit that usually begins when a person is young. It becomes more and more of a habit as the youth goes through grade school, high school, and even through college without definiteness of purpose. The habit of indecision goes with the student into the occupation he or she chooses. Generally, a young person just out of school seeks any job that can be found. Young people take the first job they can find because they have fallen into the habit of indecision. The vast majority of people working today are in the positions they hold because they lack the definiteness of decision to plan a definite position and the knowledge of how to choose an employer. Definiteness of decision 
always requires courage, sometimes very great courage. The 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence staked their lives on the decision to affix their signatures to that document. The person who reaches a definite decision to go after a specific job and make life pay the price he or she asks does not stake his or her life on that decision. They stake their economic freedom. Financial independence, riches, and desirable business positions are not within reach of the person who neglects or refuses to expect, plan, and demand these things. The person who desires riches in the same spirit that Samuel Adams desired freedom for the colonies is sure to accumulate wealth.